0: Hey, if you're loving the show, make sure you become a patron. For as little as $2 a month, you can get episodes
1: you can't get anywhere else. Go to patreon.com slash the Amelia Fortes.
0: Hello, everyone. Welcome back. You are listening to Courageous Self-Love, the official podcast for the self-love revolution. Happening right here, right now. I'm your host, Amelia Fortes, and today our episode is called Self Love and Identity. And it really is all about healing through defining your identity on your own terms. To support me with this episode, I have invited a very beautiful and wonderful soul, Rosalind Cecilia, here. She is a community educator and organizer and artist based in Waterbury, Connecticut. And she does amazing work with the youth in her community. And I was got to know her a little bit and was so inspired by her story and the work that she does. And I thought we could just have a little kiki and and talk about all that. So hey, Rosalyn, thank you so much for being here today.
1: Thank you. I'm excited.
0: Me too. And I... um. I love it because we're both from the East coast and I am so excited to see where this is going to take us.
1: I'm excited as well. Actually, you know, it's funny. I didn't ask your sign. Are you, or I'm an Aquarius. What are you?
0: I'm a cancer, sun cancer.
1: Okay. All right. So we, I think we come at things from a different approach, but I like it. We have a whole bunch of opinions to go through.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think I, I love the diversity of our stories and then also like with the work that you're doing and how this can really help the listener. So for those of you listening, as you hear this conversation, really the idea that we want to bring home is how you can heal through telling your story and reclaiming your story and your identity, or maybe even claiming it for the first time. And that's what we invite you to do as, as you listen to us. And so Rosalind, I I wanted to hear a little bit about what that has meant for you in terms of claiming your identity, claiming your story. Like how has that supported you in your life?
1: You gonna start out with a big question like that?
0: <laughs> I mean, I mean, you know, we can we can like ease into it. You know, it's, we can we can even spend the whole time answering that because I get it. It's... <laughs> so like, I mean, I what it is the meaning of life? I'm here. I'm here with you. We're we're in the journey together. Okay i'm here for it. i'm here collective work yeah, we're, we're, we're doing this together this is no pressure I, um so
1: oh okay so in regards to my story and my identity that has taken quite some time to like really sh- like you know shift through that i think that for me and i, I know we've talked about this previously but like my like first identity, if you will, the first identity that I remember having and being very proud of or having even any opinions on was me being Puerto Rican. Like my parents did a very, not only did they do a good job, but they did an intentional job in regards to making sure that I knew like, this is our history. This is our heritage. This is our culture. This is where we come from. This, like, I remember like my father, like reading books to me, and being like, you know, like this is what they did to us. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like
0: mm-hmm. so when you I say think they lot- did, do you mean like the colonizers? Y-
1: yes, the colonizers <laughs> specifically around like the US, like US imperialism mm. and colonization and stuff. Like my dad didn't have as much to say about Spain just because he wasn't alive during that time, you know, so like right. the stories that he's passing on to me have to do with his reality as well. But my identity in that really was very much affirmed but I think a lot of it was rooted in how do I say this like um a lot of anger like very early right where it's like I knew if you will too much <laughs> about that history so it kind of informed like why I was proud Like I was proud because I was angry against this thing that told me not to be proud does that make sense
0: it does it really it really really does yeah. So like
1: that's where I, like my starting point was, and then you know as you get older and you realize like oh crap like I'm I'm a woman I'm a girl and then that apparently that comes with a whole reality of itself you know,
0: yeah. um,
1: and I realized right at like puberty it was definitely starting when you know where I'm young and you're growing into whatever your body is going to become right and the world is telling you that you're supposed to be growing up like that my Puerto Ricanness and my womanness really started intersecting in a very real tangible way and so like my journey in regards like my identity up until even now I'm 28 has been really trying to I would say respectfully but intentionally like unpack the ways in which Racialized sexualization has really impacted how I show up in spaces, how I show up for mm-hmm. myself, how I show up in relationships, whether they be romantic, sexual, whether they be you know platonic or familial like there's a real way in which Puerto Rican womanness was told to me, yeah, and I think a lot of ways I internalized some good, some bad mm-hmm. and I've been spending like you know the majority of my life trying to figure out. What the fuck that means? Just my existence in general, my self understanding, my understanding of other people. Um, I hear that?
0: And it's, you know, it's been a real thing. <laughs> yeah, and you know, actually, this is that's a great, great point. There's so much in there to even just pull out, and I your intuition is absolutely right to take a couple of steps back, but which is so funny. I didn't mean to ask like that big question. Is no, like, Yeah, girl, go answer. And in three minutes <laughs> or less. But I think, I mean, that's the overarching question that is invited. Like, I'm inviting you and myself and all the listeners to an- answer is like, what is your story? What is your identity? And so there's so much to kind of start to peel back there you shared a little bit about what you were taught about your Puerto Ricanness and about your roots, but even that had its own nuances. Like you said, the little bit of the anger and what was done to um, your people, your community, yeah. and then this whole other thing about womanness and sexuality. And there's a lot of different nuances there. So I don't want either of us or the listeners to kind of get lost in that. So let's like peel it apart piece sure. by piece. And I think especially too, we can even use the context of the work that you do with the youth in your community. Mm. So you can even share some anecdotes and then I'll also share some of mine as well. So let's first start with what you've touched on in terms of like what you were taught about your identity regarding your culture, which I think is really, really important. And I invite all the listeners to ask, answer that question because there's so much meat in there. And so for me, I was taught that I was Filipino, but growing up, like we spoke English at home. And I mean, there was exposure to my Filipino family, but not really so much teaching about Filipino history and Filipino culture. Like we ate Filipino food, but it wasn't like, this is why we eat this food. This is how we cook it. This is why it's important to us. So I actually was not taught really anything specifically it was more like I had to learn it from picking it up and then especially what I was taught from going into school especially being majority Caucasian school elementary school I was taught that Filipino basically isn't a thing not explicitly but like a lot of the kids around are like are you Chinese no are you Japanese no are you Korean no well then what are you and you know with kids like it's an innocent question but like to me what I heard or saw them say was what are you like what the f you know and that's how I took it like in my child brain and when I would say Filipino they just have that look on their face of like what's that and wow. yeah for like a five-year-old that's not very empowering at and, all, at all. and I I didn't know any like I didn't know to question that I didn't you know I but uh, so I internalize a lot of that and I know a lot of my Asian American friends probably have similar experiences and so I wanted to be anything but Filipino I wanted to be like normal with like the white people lunches and the white people clothes and i hated when my mom would like want me to bring leftovers i guess one of the biggest pop culture references cuz when i tell this story sometimes is my big fat greek wedding and there's <laughs> that scene where she brings the moussaka or you know and then the kids are like what's moussaka like that's pretty much how i felt so what are some of the things that like your students in your community have gone through. So I was just curious what other experiences you've seen regarding what we were taught or told about culture.
1: Yeah, definitely. So just for context, like I'm in Connecticut and I'm in a city that's called Waterbury and Waterbury has a huge Puerto Rican population, right? And so working with my Puerto Rican kids, it was was a difference in our experiences because I grew up Well, at least for my middle school and high school, I was in an all-white school being the only Puerto Rican. And so, like, I had the (laughs) privilege, if you will, to witness white violence very much up close,
0: Mm -hmm. right? And my
1: experience with whiteness was unique to that. Whereas for my kids, you know, they're in a school where the majority of them are Puerto Rican, right? Mm -hmm. And the majority of the folks that they go to school with are people of color. And so the racism that they experience is very systemic. Like, they're not witnessing interpersonal violence as often because they are not, they don't associate with so many white people, you know, on the daily, the way that I did. Mm -hmm. And so the way that they experience race and racism is really, it's very much unique to the fact that they are in a community of color, right. Surrounded by their own folks. And so there's two main things that I noticed with them. And that is one, they, for the majority of part, there's obviously exceptions to the rule, but for the majority they were not raised with knowing their history or with their culture. A lot of them don't have the language either. And because their parents just didn't have that passed on to them, right? Like Puerto Ricans have been here since the 40s, right? Mm -hmm. So we've had most families are five generations deep now in regards to like them being in the U.S. And so it's very hard to keep that culture or at least to keep that knowing, that wisdom to being passed on. So, the way that their culture manifests is not in a way of like, I know my history and I know our narrative and our stories. It's very much a performative identity. They know what Puerto Ricans are supposed to be like, according to this like dominant narrative around like, you know, whatever stereotypes are associated with us. And so they perform. Right. That. right? And I think sometimes they don't necessarily know that they're doing it. And some of them are like, you know, they really are those things. Like, there's nothing wrong with fulfilling a stereotype. We had no input in creating those stereotypes. It's not our job to dismantle them, right? Right. Like, I'm loud and I'm obnoxious. That's something that's associated with being Puerto Ricans, and I'm not going (laughs) to change it because it's a stereotype. (laughs) Like, you know what I mean? Like, (laughs) I'm loud, you're quiet, and what? (laughs) Yeah. But for, you know, a lot of them, they really are performing this identity based off of what has been told to them by not their own people right? Um, And perpetrating like this story, this narrative that is not organic, that's not authentic to them. Right. They have to, you know, really engaging them in these conversations and, you know, workshops and having them, you know, meet new, uh, you know, new people who are Puerto Rican and, you know, are across the spectrum of what it means to be Puerto Rican. Really having them unpack that was very important to me because it is it's very emotional for me to see, to talk to, to talk with Puerto Rican kids who do not know who they are and who do not have their own voice. They speak, right? Right. (laughs) They're speaking you know, and they do believe that they're speaking on their own behalf and they're speaking for themselves, but so much of their language, so much of their mentality this is not from them. Yeah. Right. It's been instilled. It's been programmed in. And they, they need the opportunities to be able to distinguish that. Even, right. even if, you know, even if I had a Puerto Rican student who was like, no, I just think that that makes sense. I'm unpacking it with you. I get it. And I still agree with that.
0: I'd be okay with
1: that. So as long as they understand.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's not like a by default. And I think now that I'm like, thank you. This is so, so great. And I want everyone to unpack this for themselves. But I think just trying to make sense of it from my own story and listening to you, I think it's why there was a huge piece of self-worth missing for me because Mm -hmm. my culture is a big part of my self-worth. And since essentially like what you're saying, what the the community has told them, the narrative that they've been told and it's performative. So essentially for me, it was like erased because nobody growing up, at least in my elementary school, I mean, people only knew what Filipino was. Like I had an experience of people knowing what Filipino was when I was in high school.
1: Yeah.
0: And so for me, just my own personal experience of like, when I would tell people I'm Filipino, the first time people were like, oh, okay, cool. The first time I felt that was like I was like 14, 15 years old. So you can imagine like throughout childhood of like basically being told indirectly that you don't exist in a way. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And so I know that there's a million things you can do because this is what you do in your work. But what are like one or two main, I guess, questions or – Exercises that someone can do to just start to unpack what their culture or or identity means to them.
1: As far as exercises, I think the first thing you need to do is talk to as many people of your culture as possible, specifically mm-hmm. within your family. Like yeah. talk to your parents, talk to your, your your siblings, talk to your grandparents, and see if there's any commonalities. See what are the differences why are there differences why are there similarities can you relate to any of those things right like start trying to piece other people's stories together so that you can put yours in context i think that's really really important because i think that one of the things that all of us internalize if you are part of the western world if you will is like this white culture of being thinking of yourself individualistically right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's like, we need to be able to think of ourselves as a collective, right? We need to think of ourselves intergenerationally. And so if you're a young person or, you know, it's because I work with young people, but I guess in general, if you are on this journey of trying to figure out what your cultural or your racial, your ethnic identity is, absolutely connect with the stories of other people who share that same racial or ethnic or cultural identity. Figure out how their stories impact yours how they inform yeah. yours you know again the similarities and the differences just really weaving that together I think yeah. another really important thing to do is honestly and this might sound so simple but like mm-hmm. ask yourself who you are
0: right mm-hmm. like
1: one of the exercises that I did with my kids are I asked them to I asked them put down five words to describe who you are Like, if I was to ask who Raquel is, right, like, Mm -hmm. write down all the things that make up Raquel, right? Mm -hmm. I had them do that silently, and make sure you don't look at anybody else's paper. Like, it's all about you, right? And then we put that away. I don't want to see it. It doesn't exist right now. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Now let's talk about what does it mean to be Puerto Rican. So let's talk about what's associated with Puerto Rican folks. Everything that they shared, everything that they, you know, they call out are all these stereotypes. Mm, And so we end up, you know, putting them all on the wall, Right. And it's like, okay, so take out your list again, things that you personally identified with. Let's circle some of the things that matched. And every single time, it will be no, I, no more than a handful. My, maybe five things will be circled that people that are like, makes. oh, yeah, that was on my list. Right. So it shows you either one, this larger narrative is mostly false, mm-hmm. or it shows you that you and we are more than the, this narrative. Right? Like, there's a space for our unique existence in all of that. Raquel is beautiful. She is smart. She is witty. She's sarcastic. Right? She's all these different things. Right. On top of, yeah, sure, she's loud. And, you know, she, <laughs> she stances, likes. you know, she twerks in the middle of, you know, the, the parking lot whenever she can.
0: <laughs> right? Like, or it's old, like like the, the typical Latinx uh, stereotype is, like, fiery and sassy. or Exactly. You know? Which is not, like, not every single person from that culture is fiery and sassy, and not every single Asian American is great at math. (laughs) Right, exactly.
1: Um, Really comparing those lists is is important. Who do you, if you were to tell me who you are, what words would you describe, and then compare that to what other people associate with you, and let's figure out what does that mean. Again, can both exist? Do, or is one more important than the other? Like, we don't know.
0: That could mean different things for different people, but I think, Yeah. Those are the next steps though, to like start to unpack. But, and I think that just speaks to the first step really in anything that you're diving deeper is always awareness. And so these exercises, like talking to as many people of your culture and comparing and contrasting the stories, but then also this, these two lists to compare and contrast, those are great first steps in awareness. And something came up too, was like, In addition to talking to as many people that are here now, it's like learning the history. I know for me, like I said, it wasn't until high school that I was exposed to more people, Filipino American too, not even just Filipino, but Filipino American. And I started to go to these like high school weekend groups, like Phil Am. Is, is how we say Filipino American, and and they would teach history about how the majority of us came to this country, but also the history of the Philippines in World War Two and the racism that we experienced, and just lots of different things, and just being around so many people who like looked like me, um, had similar experiences. Mm-hmm at home as I did, who knew certain words, you know, where I didn't have to explain like, oh, Ate is how we, how we call our older sister or Kuya is how we call our older brother. Like I can just say Kuya and people know who exactly who I'm talking about. And it's just such a healing experience to, to do that. So I think just the exercises in itself Are healing but then the next step is like taking a step back and looking at all those things and starting to unpack that
1: no definitely I I think it's really it's always rooted in the self-reflection but having the opportunity to have either someone prompt that or collectively self-reflect you know like
0: absolutely
1: my kids are in schools with Puerto Ricans all the time so clearly they have community there if you will but, yeah. you know, often are they given the opportunity to be like, hey, let's kind of reflect on the fact that, like, why are all the Puerto Ricans congregated in this one area? <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> <laughs> and how do you guys relate to one another? How do you not? Right? Like, <laughs> yeah,
0: I think, yeah, absolutely. And I love that you're pulling out and pointing out it's, there's a self-reflection piece, but also the collective slash community piece, which, both are important, and I don't think like one is more important than the other. But they both go hand in hand, yeah, and, and work I out really
1: that, well.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I think also something that really n- not o- so not only was this like you know let's challenge this dominant narrative, or if anything, let's identify that there's a dominant narrative in the first place, right? But mm-hmm. once we start unpacking that, I think the other thing to have young folks specifically, again, with the work that I do. That next step is like, okay, so now we understand a larger context of Puerto Rican-ness, of dominant culture, woo-pee, woo-pee, woo, all these fancy words, right? Mm-hmm. What are the dissimilarities between us based off of our other identities? So, like, when we started delving into gender and sexual identity between my students, yes, very different conversations. And not only very different, but much more specific, right? Yeah. Because, like, we are all multiple things at once. And Absolutely. so having those conversations where my girls could really start identifying the ways in which their reality is so much different compared to their you know, male counterparts, it, it was a very big deal.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, and then you bring, I'm so glad that you naturally transitioned here because I definitely wanted to go here. So let's totally dive in girls versus male counterparts versus gender fluid, right? So yeah, how how does that start to come through and start to unpack? And again, you know, we only have a short amount of time together. So just for anyone listening, like this is like a lifelong journey, pretty much just <laughs> all, self-love in general is a lifelong journey. But the intention with, with these episodes is always to start planting seeds and start to, to get you to start asking questions. So tell us how that starts to like deepen and come through as it relates to gender and sexual identity. Is it are they together? Do they go hand in hand or do we look at one and then the other?
1: It's yeah. such a <laughs> it's such it's a, just, a pasta sauce. <laughs> yeah. It's a pasta sauce. Okay. I, I believe it. Kind of like going back to the idea of like performative identity, right? Yes, yes.
0: <sighs> How do and I, say I love that? that I I love that phrase and this is what I think it I don't I also don't want to assume people know what that means, but this is my Interpretation, and then you tell me if you have anything to add or if I'm totally wrong. But like, performative identity to me means like, you know, because media, society, culture, commercials, movies is like, you're getting a billion plus message units per day from all these pieces of information that tells you what something is and who you are, and so unconsciously you end up performing a certain way, even though that might not be authentic to you.
1: Yeah, so it's definitely okay. that. It also doesn't have to be always subconscious. It can be very conscious, right? Mm-hmm. So like okay. I definitely performed my Puerto Rican-ness when I was in high school because I was the only Puerto Rican, right? And I, and oh. I knew that I was doing that on purpose. Yeah. Um, so it can be unconscious, it can be um, subconscious, it can be conscious. And it also could be, okay, now I know who I am, cool, understand the difference between dominant and non-dominant narrative, blah, 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 blah but also I want to prove my identity to even my own people, right? So That's like a as thing. a bisexual woman, right? Like bi erasure is a real thing, especially yeah. if you are in a, in a relationship with someone who is male presenting, right? It's like, yeah. oh, see, she's not really bi. Look at that hetero relationship, right? And so now yeah. trying to figure out like how do I prove my queerness to my own people? That's, okay. So it, it, it can be... It, it can be a lot of things, but either way, when it's not just for you, it's performative.
0: That's a no. That's that's a great distinction, and I love that you brought in that it can also be conscious. Because I, I know for me, the way that looked for me was like men love sexual women. So definitely, when I was too young and too early before I was ready, I presented myself as more sexual than I needed to be, and that's own what's possible what you call it? pasta sauce of stuff because I I also have like abuse in my history and so you know the lines were blurred between innocence and sexuality desired worthiness all of that just to share where I'm coming from but I definitely want to hear some of the things you found in in your own personal work but also with the youth
1: So like all of those same things that you just mentioned really came up when it came to talking to both my boys and girls. And I'm saying boys and girls just because my students happen to all have identified as cisgender. So um, fluid
0: just adds an extra layer to that though. Right. Like, you know, cause it's like the, the performative identity or yeah, the performative identity there could be like, well, you got to pick a side. So
1: no, that's the thing. And I think, I mean, that's the reason why, well, not the reason, but m- one of the many reasons as to why people are so afraid of queering mm-hmm. conversations, because the minute that, that there's more choices than the binary, mm-hmm. all of a sudden they're like, well, now I don't understand my life. So wait, is this something that affects everyone? Is this something that just affects women? What about femininity? Like, it's just, it makes the conversation more layered and complex. And so people kind of lose themselves in the conversation and not knowing, not knowing this, I like, how to navigate it. Yeah. Um so it, you know, it can become a thing, but at least for my particular youth that, at least my P- Puerto Rican youth that I was working with, they all, again, identified as cisgender. And so mm-hmm. a lot of their, mm, a lot of their performative identity was absolutely rooted in both their, like, racial understanding, their ethnic understanding, or lack of understanding,
0: mm-hmm,
1: um, mm-hmm. and their gender, um, their gender identity. like. Mm-hmm it was automatic that my girls knew that it was their responsibility to take care of their siblings, regardless of what age they were. Right. Mm -hmm. You're 12 years old. Your brother is 18 and you're the one who's making sure that when you get home, you start cooking for the family. Right. Right. Or the girl (laughs) or dealing with this, like, like this sexualization, and on both parts. And and I say that specifically because I think that very often when people start having conversations about like, oh, we sexualize women, we sexualize girls. In sexualized order for that to work, we have to sexualize boys too. And Absolutely. when we start talking about from a lens of like racism and white supremacy, like boys of color are not exempt from being sexualized or hypersexualized or even objectifying themselves and others, right? And so like my girls were really, they were already navigating this idea of like being a fetish or like fetishization in general, right? Mm -hmm. Where your body is something to both, to be both adored because there's this this privileged area of being Latina if you're not Black, right? Compared to the Black girls that are in your school. Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: But then there's also your body's there to be objectified at the same time. Right okay. where it's like the reason why you are able to be put above your black female counterparts is because mm-hmm. you are just this light-skinned alternative, right? This exotic alternative, Absolutely.
0: and they're already
1: navigating that by identifying themselves as sassy, as freaky, as mm-hmm, you know, down mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, for whatever.
0: Maintain, mm-hmm.
1: It's like while also having to maintain, you know, this good girl making mm-hmm. sure you act like a lady <laughs> so
0: for your family and all of right?
1: that mm-hmm. and not even in just in front of the family but even in front of the boys right That's so it's like they really have good. to have this public private persona where like in public i'm not a hoe
0: right i'm not in the streets freaking the sheets
1: exactly but you know i have to perform this type of sexual availability or eagerness yes when i'm with a male partner
0: right and that may or may not be true or authentic
1: Exactly.
0: And just to pause a little bit, because this is so, so good. And I, I love it. Thank you. You're (laughs) amazing. I love you. Um, But just to pause so that like on some things, because, you know, you and I have talked about this stuff all day long. So we're pretty well versed. But some of this for some of the listeners might be like, whoa. So first, cisgender just means you you identify with the gender that you were assigned at birth. So, you know, they put an M if you had a penis, an F if you had a vagina, and you identify with the norms that come with that. And you're like, yes, I am a girl. Yes, I am a boy. So that's what that means because there are people who don't identify with that. And you can look it up for more information there. But then the fetishizing and the objectifying, I mean, you and I are very well versed with that in our own life and also from like doing the work that we do. But I feel like a lot of people, it's like it takes a while to like really recognize because number one, it's painful when you first realize it, right? And number two, it's like it's so normalized in our culture that it's like we don't even realize it. So you said a few examples like with the Puerto Rican girls around being like down and like this sexual thing, but then needing to be this angel. For Filipinos, especially, oh my gosh! If I hear like people would be like, Oh yeah, Filipinos," you know, they're like they're like Asian faces with Spanish girl bodies, you know, and and like um, I remember too, growing up, like guys would love like light light eyes, you know, the Eurocentric features like light eyes, light skin, you know, these the certain things that people say are the desired trait. But it's not actually seeing you as a true like human being, as like a wow. full person. It's like you're just like tits and ass, basically. And this is a hard one. I really wanted to slow down here because this is one a big one to unpack because I definitely through my early twenties and even mid twenties, and I think only recently, the last couple of years, I finally let it go. I would objectify myself. Absolutely. Like, yeah, I'm Filipina, you know that like the Asian face with the Spanish girl body. But like when you really look at it, like what the fuck? Like, <laughs> <Absolutely>. <laughs> like, what the hell? Like, I'm so much more than an Asian face with a Spanish girl body and also PS, what the fuck does that mean? <laughs> you know, because look at Puerto Ricans themselves or even Filipinos themselves, put every single person in a room. Like you'll see all shades, all right. shades. All you'll see curvy, you'll see lanky, you'll see slim, you'll see thick, you'll see and so This is also tagging back to what we were talking about around the performative identity as well as the dominant narrative. And it's like, just to fit in, just to survive, we objectified ourselves.
1: That's a real thing. And I think also like speaking both from like my personal story and journey as well as like what I see, you know, with my kids or whatever, is that I think people underestimate the... The role that self-esteem for the lack of self-esteem has in regards to self-objectification, right? Or like fetishizing your own self or at least agreeing with a feti- being fetishized. Like I absolutely, when I was in my teenage years, completely enabled fetishization. Like I was here oh, for it. So like Me too. oh my gosh, like you think I'm better than who and I'm a light skinned alternative to why. Like I was, I was here for it. Mm-hmm. I was here for it. And when I say here for it, I knew even like consciously, like that doesn't make any sense. Like that literally doesn't make sense, <laughs> especially as somebody who, like I said, I know my history, right? Mm-hmm. So like Puerto Rican women are constantly being pitted against black women automatically like that's just this rivalry that people think needs to exist right Mm -hmm. as someone who was raised with my history i knew for a fact that like i'm clear i'm literally not possible like my actual existence is not possible without black womanhood my culture Mm -hmm. is not possible without black womanhood like quite literally right Mm -hmm. and so even though i knew that logically consciously I had zero self esteem. I thought I was ugly. I thought that I was fat. I'm in this white school and like everybody's supposed to, you know, wear their little hip huggers. You (laughs) You know, like I was not, I was either like this odd thing that the guys couldn't figure out if they liked me or I was just completely repulsive. Like I had no self esteem. I had no confidence. And so if someone was willing to put me on this pedestal at the expense of my own sisters, right i was like and at least oh, i'm gonna take it itself, like, right, right? I, i'm gonna take it because I, yeah. I need to feel some sort of um you know value and if it
0: comes from the boys oh even better
1: right because that's the only validation that matters that, right, yep. and
0: that's what we're taught and that's reminding me too I, I wrote this down because like I was a tween slash teen in the nineties. And so when it's freaking nineties shows and movies are horrible, especially (laughs) with our current consciousness around what's so socially acceptable and okay. And so for me, like realizing that all the bodies that were glorified in movies, women being objectified still, even white women, but like, it was like huge boobs Really skinny waist and like virtually no hips, and like no, like, butt wasn't a thing in the 90s, that was like after. Right. Um, right. <laughs> and like for me, I didn't realize consciously until I started to unpack all of this that because of those images, I unconsciously kept playing over it to myself that I'm not attractive, I'm not worthy, I'm not. Worthy of glorification, so hell yeah! If someone was gonna glorify, right. even though it's objectifying my whatever Asian face on a Spanish girl body, whatever the hell that means, I'm gonna take it right. and I'm gonna flaunt it at the you know. And I don't have the personal experience of that at the expense of of um, black women, but that's it. That's a whole conversation in itself because in my middle school and elementary school, there were like there was like one black kid probably. Mm-hmm. So that's my own, you know. That's a whole thing in itself, which we won't go there today. No, but it it is a real
1: thing because like that's a lot to ask of someone to perform that many things. Like I'm already performing my Puerto Ricanness,
0: right? Mm -hmm. I'm trying
1: to establish that I am not you and you are not me. We can't you can't be in my club, right? (laughs) I know what you think, right? Right. (laughs) Right. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to perform this like gender sexual role right, for, again, not myself, for other people, Mm -hmm. like, there's just too much performance going on, and you become exhausted, and not only you become exhausted, but you become so used to it that you realize, you think that it's yourself, right, and I know even for my, again, my own personal story, like, I only recently came out as bisexual, and that just took that, that took uh-huh. really over uh-huh. i 'm twenty eight you know, so i didn 't come out till i was twenty seven and I always knew I always knew mm-hmm. I liked women, I always knew that, but right it's only been recently that i've been able to unpack the fact that like being so hypersexualized, being so fetishized, being such a object of like sexual fucking I don't know, whatever these words are. Right, right. <laughs> you know, like that being my my role to play, I was literally I don't know if this is the right word, but I'll use it for now until I think of a different one. But I was like literally afraid to say or add to my plate that I'm by because what does that mean? Oh, she's Puerto Rican, she's curvy and she likes women. She's into women. You know what I mean? Like it's like Thing yeah. is, I'm not gonna add system overload third over the <laughs> sexualized identity to my plate. Yeah. You know, you're already hypersexualized when you're a woman, you're already hypersexualized when you're Puerto Rican. And then
0: I'm gonna add bi. Yeah. Like <laughs>
1: the, Yeah, that's
0: very, they're definitely hypersexualized.
1: Right? Like I remember having conversations with like either just men in general or like previous boyfriends and them saying, like, you know you like women, right? And I literally vehemently denying it. Because every time they would say it, they were excited about it. Like they made it about themselves.
0: And that that doesn't make it a safe – exactly. It doesn't cultivate a safe space for you to identify who you are, which with this episode, really, I think what we really want people to start creating for themselves, but then also within their communities or people they feel safe with, is this sacred safe space to truly explore who you are. Because essentially what we've been saying this whole time is, there's like a shitload of stuff telling us who we are and who to be. And not only that, on top of it, it's objectified. So it's not even like honored as a full complete human being with an identity, with feelings, with all of this. And and like, how the hell do we unpack all of that?
1: Right, right. And I think the only way to unpack that, I think the only way to push through it and to reclaim our own stories, is having those inter-community conversations, right? Talking to other folks of whatever you consider your community, right? Like I have several. do I want them all mixed together? Do I want them separately? Like, you know, that can depend on the individual.
0: Yeah, you can build that on your own. Mm -hmm.
1: Right. But being able to like, just have an honest, safe and also brave space where it's okay to be vulnerable it's okay to kind of like ask these questions like did you go through this too am i not thinking am i do i have a blind side not thinking about something and i know we we talked about this previously but Mm -hmm. i'm not going to i'm not gonna get the things that i need if i'm constantly talking about if I'm if I'm not, if I'm talking to people outside my community and having to argue and you know like yeah
0: having to teach on top prove, of it
1: like I'm I'm not gonna find any healing yes or I'm not gonna find my own self definition talking to men I'm not gonna find that talking right. to white people I'm not gonna find that talking to straight people like it's just not gonna happen I agree right? so we have to be able to have spaces for each other and process things together
0: I think that's so great and and just to kind of give another example, like a specific one that I've found has been so healing for me and then also for my girlfriends when it does come up. And it's been a pleasant surprise. So like in terms of an intra-community, the community I'm speaking of is women, sexual women. And we talk about self-pleasure and masturbation and like how we started to discover our own bodies and our own pleasure, even from a very young age. And it's always such a lovely surprise because it's like we'll share things and it's like, oh my gosh, you did that too. Or I did that too. Oh, ah, like I can't believe it. And it's just so healing. But the thing is there isn't safe, like we definitely didn't have a safe space in school to talk about how when we were five, we started like humping all our pillows, you know, <laughs> You know, like it, oh it's my so, god, that's so true. It's just, but you know, or like, it—it's it, just so funny because um, one of one of the times that this happens, kind of like by accident, but to me and my friend's delight, she like tweeted something. But I think like ironically, or just being sarcastic, like a sarcastic joke about—I don't remember exactly the words, but something about her preference of like firmness of pillow because when she fucks them, <laughs> something like you know, it feels better. And so I think it was, like, preferring softer pillows or something. And so I, I like, DM'd her, and I was like, I actually prefer firmer because, you know, it it gets that pressure that I like. And I was totally honest and vulnerable, and she just was like, wait, are you making fun of me, or are you being serious? And I'm like, no, girl, I'm being serious. And we literally got into this, like hour-long DM conversation about the pillows and the doorknobs we used to hump and like have like you know how we discovered that this felt good and it's like yeah I did a number on that armchair when like I was five you know and and like oh I did a number on the laundry stool that was in my basement you know what I mean and um it's just so right but like is it it's so healing it's so like it makes us laugh in the best way possible and um, she said, you know, this was the conversation in 2019 that I didn't know I needed. And it's interesting because I look at that friend and I see her as a totally unapologetically sexual being, unafraid to express her sexuality. So it was a, it was a lovely, humbling experience to see that because our society is so, is starving for these intra community conversations about real shit that even though I saw her as that, there were still such tender spots around her sexuality, and that are so normal. And that's one specific example. But I know anytime I bring like self pleasure from like age four and up to anyone, they're always like my girlfriends are always delighted to talk about it. And it just shows how parched we are for that kind of conversation. And that's about women and, and self pleasure and sexuality. But Take any of your identities, queerness, sexuality, gender, culture, anything, and just how healing those intra community dialogues really can be.
1: Yeah. And I think they're healing too, because very rarely do you have to yell, you know, or do you have to look for validation or do you have to prove yourself or your human you know what I mean? Like or teach. It's kind of like when you just go into somebody's house it's the same culture like y'all know the same type of humor right mm-hmm. like you you have that those um what is it called like the idiosyncrasies of how to act in that space right like yes it's exact same thing like it's like a fish in water exactly the majority of us are usually in spaces where we don't have that right where you have to prove yourself you have to fight for
0: validation or code
1: switch exactly mm-hmm. and it's like that's exhausting i don't want to i don't want to keep yelling at people <laughs> you know yeah, what i mean like,
0: you know because even if they have even if those other people have the best intentions sometimes their reactions that are innocent can be really harmful because of this systemic racism that we all grow up in yeah and it's like 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 for me an innocent kid asking me what's filipino isn't I don't think, like, at the core of trying to be like, what the fuck is that? But, like, that's how I'm receiving it because that kid was, like, literally never exposed to anything other than Caucasian and Korean. So we talked a lot about things that you can do to unpack your culture identity. But what, especially with your own journey and then with your students, what are some of the ways that some exercises, some questions they can ask themselves in order to start to really unpack organically the authentic truth about their gender or their sexuality etc
1: yeah um I'm never going to say for example for culture or race right like I'm never going to suggest like at any point let's go talk to white people like it's just not going to be oh, yeah, don't <laughs> that's like the way that I approach race work or like anti-racism like I just that's not it
0: mm-hmm. however
1: when it comes to gender I will absolutely suggest mixed groups. Not all the time, as we just said. Like intra-community work is important, but like for me, intra-community can mean different things depending on what your goal is, right? So like, okay. folks of color are my community, and therefore that that could be an intra-community conversation. I can make it even more intra, if you will, if I become more specific and add gender or add sexuality, right? But. It's you can get a little bit broader with the term. So when it comes to like my students, right? We always made sure we had separate groups where we could have uh, brother time and girl talk. That's what they wanted to call it. So that's Mm -hmm. what it's called. Mm -hmm. But there would always be times for them to come together and share and have ask each other questions. So the male group being able to ask three questions to the the non male group and the non male group asking three questions to the male group. So we could actually start having some communication one of the greatest things that <laughs> like i'll say brilliant one of the most brilliant strategies that patriarchy has accomplished is teaching us not how we don't know how to talk to, talk to each other Absolutely. because we really really don't like we're both on the defense right like we're both yeah. performing yeah right we don't know how to talk to one another and so we're not going to be able to be in relationship with each other and i don't mean that just sexually or romantically i mean like in general we're not gonna be able to exist in the same space being able to ask questions rather than lecturing, rather than even sharing your own story. Just ask questions. I want to learn about you from your perspective. And having people practice telling you their own stories or even answering questions that they may not even have thought to ask themselves. Because I think a lot of times we assume like, oh, you know, you don't care about this because you don't talk about this or blah, blah, blah. It's like honestly, I've never had anyone ask me that question. So I never wow. thought of it before. Being able to work with young boys has Kept a hold in my heart to continuously have space for men because for me, a lot of the issues that I see men have are unresolved issues that they had when they, when were, a they boy. were boys. Right? right? Like, you don't know how to communicate, you don't know how to process your emotions, you don't know how to be vulnerable. You're still objectifying women, you're still objectifying yourself, you're still finding power in like this dominant male role. Like, all these different things you're still doing because you did not have someone to have those conversations with you safely and respectfully when you were a boy.
0: Yeah, you, know? you have someone leading a group where you start with an empathy exercise and then split up and then come back and ask questions, which it's, it's really invaluable work. What's an example of a, of a question?
1: Again, it could depend on the group. It can depend on who, what's your objective and who's in the room. Say if I was to do a training actually for like on anti-racism, right? Or like breaking down whiteness and stuff like that. And you're in a room full of, you know, providers, obviously the majority of them being white, the minority being brown and black. And so like now we have to talk about race with each other. Oh God, right? Right, right. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. A question that I would have everyone ask is what are you afraid to talk about when it comes to race? Or like what fears do you have? In regards to
0: talking about race, so like or something very open ended that can start to, that allows for a range of experiences. Exactly. And come from. Exactly. Like having this healing space where everyone can just witness and see these different perspectives. I Absolutely. mean, that. And and this is why like just a plug in general, I mean, I'm always going to plug personal growth because I mean, thank God for for you and your community, for your, for those kids in your community. But not all of us, I mean, myself included, were so lucky to have a community. So, no matter how old you are, where you're at in your life, it it's so important just to plug into a community that can facilitate these types of exercises, because where else are we going to do it? On Facebook? Yeah, we see how great that works out. (laughs) So, yeah, just wherever you you go to meetup.com or talk to (laughs) someone that you know does this work and find a place where you can go to where someone can facilitate these kinds of exercises, for sure. It reminds me of, I was in a space where there was like a teen training, so it was mostly just based on age, the parents would come in after the graduation, and then each group got to ask anonymously, like, you know, you put on a, a index card in the bowl, like, here's a question from the teens, and then here's a question from the parents. Then anyone can answer it, but it's just like, everyone's in the room, all hearing their responses and the answers, and it's just really, it's just powerful. So, you know, in the case example you gave, it was, you know, between the masculine boys and the feminine girls or the fems, but you can do that with any mixed group and facilitated well. Right. And with a good safe holding space, a lot of healing can happen. I love that you gave the example of like anti-racism because that's like, woo, let's just go straight
1: for that. that. Or there's really like, the only situation in which I talk to white people about racism was well when I'm getting paid. <laughs>
0: yeah, well, <but laughs> thankfully I, I am seeing a lot of, white people just really be open to doing this work and compensating those who teach this work for it because yeah the free the day of free emotional labor and education is over um, <laughs> there's lots of people to follow and I'm so glad that that you're here and around doing this work gosh there's so many different places we can go but we do have to start to wrap up and I feel like I say this pretty much every episode. To those of you listening, I mean there's so much here. Rewind it, come back again with a notebook and pen and take notes and really do this work for yourself. Wherever people land on the spectrum of gender sexuality culture, what are some next right action steps people can take to really start moving the needle in the right direction?
1: Oh, I think one I think you already suggested one, which is Plug yourself into a community and that community does not have to be big if your community is two people that's a community and that's yours and that's fine invest in having these conversations and even if your community is virtual like i know we were saying that facebook and twitter can be a little bit problematic depending on how you use it and but like Mm -hmm. i would be disingenuous if i did not give credit to the online community that i have My natural hair journey literally started because of people online liking my selfies. Like, that's a real thing.
0: Mm. It is. (laughs) Well, hey, and we found each other because of online community, you and I. And even Clarissa. Hey, Clarissa, who uh, (laughs) referred us to each other. I mean, I found her because of Facebook and Instagram as well.
1: Online spaces can be really great ways to start your community and to like figure out who's talking about these things already slide into their dms and ask them questions and share a story or something like that you know if your community in person is only two people that is a legitimate community have those conversations Mm -hmm. i would say really start asking yourself some questions if you journal journal and Mm -hmm. like start kind of breaking down where gender where race where sexuality shows up in your life like even in that day like Mm -hmm. when did your when did your gender matter that day Right. Mm-hmm. When did your sexuality matter that day? When did it come up? Did you bring it up? Did someone else bring it up? How did they? How did you? And if you don't journal, you don't like writing. Record yourself talking. <laughs> <laughs> we got Write it out. Talk it
0: out. Self conversation is just as important as community conversation. I will say we can't do this alone. So especially if your tendency is to isolate, yeah. Um, the self journey takes you so far, but I, I know for just just in talking about masturbation, even just with one other person. It's very right.
1: <laughs> If you find yourself in conversations where you are yelling a lot or arguing or debating for the majority of the time, I would say you're in the wrong spaces. Um, yeah. Not that those don't have a place. Of course those have places. Of course there is going to be debate. And even within a community, there is debate, right? Like we're not monolithic thinkers here. Yes. But I think that, like, if you are a woman or mm-hmm. a queer person and you are constantly finding yourselves in debates or mm-hmm. arguments with men or straight people or cis people, mm-hmm. like, you are not investing in your healing. You are absolutely investing in your own resentment.
0: And mm-hmm.
1: that is not going to serve you in the long run. Anger mm-hmm. is important. Anger is valid. Anger is justified. Anger. Yes. Prolonged is just not going to give you the results that you might want, (laughs) right? I
0: agree.
1: And maybe it does, because that's me assuming people's objectives. So, really, just your strategies need to match your objectives. So, maybe identifying your objective would be a great way to start. (laughs) Like, what do you want to do with these conversations? What do you want to do with these self-talks, right? Like, that's important. But if your goal is to just have a better sense of self, have Mm -hmm. a hold on your identity. And not where it's permanent, but where it's a living document, if you will, a living conversation that can always change. But based off of your actions, like you get to decide when it changes. If that's your goal, you need to stop getting in conversations with people who are where you always are
0: dealing with you.
1: That said, I do think that it is important to always recognize that not everyone does have the privilege to get out of those arguing or, you know, debating spaces like that's a real thing. I am someone who does have the privilege of being paid to work with my own community. You know, I have my own thoughts on that. Like how anti-racist can anti-racist work be if you're getting paid by a racist system, right? Like that's a real thing. Yeah. The,
0: the, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I hear It's a real thing. I, that's I a separate think conversation. Think so. I, I think about all that too. And I, I think though with that alone, cause there's so much I want to just point out, you said so. I mean, you took us to church, so honey. So we're, <laughs> woo, I have been delivered, and I think the thing with that is it's such a big thing that we we can't figure it out alone. And yeah. so there's a lot. to, There's always a lot to unpack. Whatever it means to you, have at least one like kind of safe space where you can relax right. a little. Be gentle with yourself through all of this. Don't try to be perfect. Be willing mess up and the other piece I wanted to underscore that you said earlier was like the anger is important and sometimes sometimes the anger is all you have and for your own sake and for your own safety and your own growth I invite you to do whatever you can to use that anger towards your healing and let go little by little of the fight because you're worthy you're here you matter your life doesn't have to always be a fight and um, find find those spaces where you can relax and and just be, right?
1: Yeah, that's a real thing.
0: Yeah. Thank you so much. This was, like, so good as I knew it was going to be, and I love talking to you. You're just absolutely wonderful and amazing and so full of just compassion and knowledge, like the way that you share things. Thank you for being who you are and doing the work you do. And can we just multiply you across everywhere and just have <laughs> you everywhere? <laughs> um, I love it. And to those of you listening, thank you so much for being here every week. New episodes every Thursday. You have been listening to Courageous Self-Love, the official podcast for the Self-Love Revolution. I'm your host, Amelia Fortes, and I will talk to you next week. <laughs> hey if you're loving the show make sure you become a patron for as little as two dollars a month you can
1: get episodes where you can't get anywhere else go to patreon.com slash the amelia fortes